Uh, let's turn to the Word of God, please, uh, in the book of Second Kings and the chapter number six. The book of Second Kings and the chapter number six. It's a short and familiar reading, and I invite you to follow it closely as we share together. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 6 and the verse number 1, reading down as far as verse number 7. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight or too narrow for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. Now can we just unite for a word of prayer, please? Gracious Father, we're glad to be in your house this morning. We thank you for the powerful worship. We thank you for the realization that at the shout of praise, hell's foundations quiver and shake. And we thank you that he that offereth praise glorifieth thee. And that's why we have come into your house today, to glorify, to honor, and to lift up your name. We thank you for all who have gathered. We pray for that necessary preparation of heart to hear the voice of God. We thank you for all those who have stood in this sacred place where I stand just now, who have brought the Word of God faithfully and powerfully over past weeks and past months and years. And we thank you for the impact that it has had on the congregation week by week. And we thank you for the impact on families and on communities. And we thank you that the Word of God lives on in the hearts and homes of the people. And we pray that that will ever be the case. Your Word will not return void. And I pray this morning and into this afternoon, as the Word of God is spoken, may we hear it, may we feel it, may we obey it, may we be broken by it, 
and may our lives be lifted up to a higher place and point in spiritual living and in our walk with God. We pray for the covering of the blood of Jesus, and we pray for the unction of the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus, anoint the ministry of Your Word this morning, and glorify Your precious name. We pray for Your sake and Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are aware, in the very near future, Margaret and I return to Africa, and this morning I take the opportunity of asking you for your prayer remembrance over these next weeks and months. We will be in Africa until the 7th of September. We will have many journeys. Some of them will be long and difficult. We will have many preaching opportunities. We pray, we are asking you to pray with us that we will see the hand of God and that we'll see indeed many victories wrought for the kingdom of God. The work of God is not easy in Northern Ireland, and it's, it has got its challenges in Africa too, believe me. Where God is at work, the devil is in, in counter-attack mode. Please be aware of that. And where, when the kingdom of God is being advanced, the devil is seeking to frustrate that activity, and he's seeking to uh, extend, and he's seeking to advance his own kingdom. So we need the prayers of the people of God to keep us strong and to keep us uh, moving forward victoriously. I did say the passage we've read this morning is familiar uh, for a number of reasons, not least that some years ago I remember sharing with you from this passage. You've read it many times. It relates to the life of the great servant of God, Elisha, and indeed there are very many interesting principles here, and I felt deeply exercised of the Lord to uh, revisit this passage and to share with you from it. It's the familiar story of the lost axe head. And I want to impress upon you this morning from this short passage of Scripture that there exists a great danger in Christian experience of losing the cutting edge of our lives, our ministry, our walk with God. That is always a possibility. There are many servants of God this morning around Dungannon and across Northern Ireland and across the United Kingdom, and they once were on fire for God. They once were full of zeal and passion for Jesus and the preaching of the Word of God, full of passion for prayer and uh, the kingdom of God and its advancement. But today they are not in that place anymore. I remember some few years ago, a notable preacher and servant of God who came from the United States, and he preached in some of Northern Ireland's greatest conventions, and he was associated with some of the uh, most notable preachers and servants of God 
in Northern Ireland, and they had so very much in common. But within a few months on his return, he announced a new website that intimated uh, to all his friends and to the public that he was now a Christian homosexual. Can you imagine a man who shared pulpits with well-known preachers, well-known conventions in Northern Ireland, making such a drastic statement? It wasn't yesterday or the day before. It was about 15 years ago. Can you imagine publicly announcing that he was not the kind of person he used to be. Uh, he had now a new identity, and now he was promoting something that was different, and in our eyes, something that was very uh, contrary to the Scriptures and very opposed to the standard of the Word of God. And he did so without blushing or without blinking an eyelid. There are many others who may not perhaps have become engaged to that extent in ungodliness and in moral failure, but they lost out. They have lost out with God. Their names have disappeared from the Christian scene. They're no longer in the newspaper announcements section uh, speaking uh, in, in meetings and churches and mission halls, or indeed uh, organizing some new inroad in terms of uh, outreach and gospel ministry. They have disappeared because they're no longer reading the Word of God, no longer praying, no longer walking with God. Men and women and young people here this morning, if that is true of notable preachers and leaders, frontline and very significant men and women. What about the rank and file of the church? I never met the man, but I was told about him. He was wealthy and innovative and a visionary. And he had a great influence in Northern Ireland, particularly in building churches. And he built almost entirely a, a whole new church with the denomination where he was associated. Very celebrated and indeed uh, very distinguished in so many ways. He had the means to do it. And he was very happy, and he was very much involved in his church. A preacher and a, a man who never missed the prayer meeting, and a man who was revered and respected. But he got so busy, and his business actually prospered exponentially. He felt he could not spare the hours of a Sunday to go to church. He spent the entire day in the office calculating uh, his next, calculating his books and his profits and preparing for his next project. And for many years, he has not been in the house of God, to my knowledge. 
Many spoke with great grief and distress about this notable man of God who did so much for the work of God, and now he's nowhere to be seen on the Christian scene. There's not a church, not an evangelical church uh, in the land, but there are seats that are empty when it comes to the prayer meeting night. And there are seats that are empty during the worship meetings. And there are seats that are empty in the gospel missions and gospel outreach that is being conducted from time to time because they are no longer interested. Their minds, their giftings, their pursuits in life, their love for the Lord and their love for the Word of God and ministry, it has completely evaporated. I speak the truth, I lie not. I dare say there's hardly one in this service this morning, but you know somebody that fills that category. And it may just be that in this morning, coming close to the end of the month of July, uh, June, it may be that you are that person. You have lost the desire for Jesus and the Scriptures and godly things. And you don't care really whether you come to church or not. There are some who used to be very, very meticulous about their devotional life and about prayer with their family. You would never think of letting your children go to school, and maybe now they're growing up and away, but it may be children are still in your home, and it may be that you prayed regularly with your spouse, but you don't do that anymore. You've outgrown that, or you can't afford the time, or you are embarrassed to do it. I say it is a stark and disturbing possibility to lose out with God, and this morning I'm talking about losing the cutting edge. When you lose your cutting edge, you lose your testimony. You lose your standing in the church and in the community. You're no longer a disturber of the devil. You give him much pleasure indeed. And he claps his hands and he sniggers behind your back when he sees you going in another direction from the prayer meeting and from the evening gospel service or from the mission that's being conducted a few miles from here. And I want to challenge you in this regard. And I want you to know that not only is it possible to lose your cutting edge, to lose your testimony, and to lose the respect that people have for you as a Christian in the community and as a man or woman of God. It's noticeable. You think nobody has noticed. <laughs> you need to catch yourself on. You never backslide without someone detecting it. 
You never lose contact with God without people feeling and knowing fairly immediately that there's something wrong with this man's life. It's understandable to miss a night, perhaps, in the prayer meeting when um, you may not be feeling well or there's some emergency that, emergency that has arisen. But when the second night comes and you're not there, and the third night and a whole month passes, or maybe three months, I say it's noticed. And not only in the fact of your absence, but in the actual aspect of your life. The things you talk about that you used never, never to talk about. And the things that you omit talking about that were always so close to your heart. It's noticeable, I say. And when you pray, there's something, something, something missing. The passion for Jesus, it becomes so mechanical. It's very easy for your devotional life to become mechanical. You read for the sake of reading. You read and you pray just to salve your conscience. I had a quiet time. I had a devotional time, but your heart was not in it. In fact, you were thinking of everything but the Scriptures you were reading about while you were on your knees or sitting in your favorite chair meeting with God, as you probably might like to think or put it. I want to ask you, how is it with your soul? How is it with your walk with God? How is it with your progress in Christian things and ministry? Are you going forward? Are you standing still? Or are you losing ground day by day and week by week? And imagine we're living almost at this critical point that will mark the climax of the ages in regard to the near coming of our Lord Jesus. Could it be that you're out of touch with God and indeed you're not ready for that great event? But I want to say to you this morning that that of which I speak, losing out with God, losing your cutting edge, the cutting edge of which I speak is recoverable, and that is the wonderful uh, end, the wonderful conclusion uh, to this amazing Old Testament story that incorporated that great prophet of the double portion, Elisha. It is recoverable. You can get back to where you once were, but I remind you that it's costly. It's costly. Allow me, please, to mention a few uh, principles that are of interest to note uh, in the opening verses. I want you to note uh, that there is evidence of dissatisfaction in this community. It was a theological institution. We would call it a Bible college. We would call it a, a center of theological uh, uh, teaching and promotion. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. It was a place of learning, theological learning. 
And God had been blessing the institution to the point that there were a lot of people applying in order to join the uh, course and to join the society that met there. I can only speculate there may well have been 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50, or even beyond. And this was quite amazing, quite amazing, from the point of view that there was a lot of decadence in the society of that time. There were ungodly kings on the throne. Everybody could remember the ungodly reign of Ahab and his demon-possessed queen by the name of Jezebel and the idolatry and the, uh, the, the, the arrogance and the defiance of God and His prophets and the Word of God that was being proclaimed. But here in this institution, if you were a discerning person, you would be saying, there's something good happening. There are straws in the wind. The tide is turning. God is beginning to move. And uh, there's a cloud that's be beginning to descend with power and with blessing in it. There was dissatisfaction, and these men were looking to expand even more, and they were looking to move to a new location. They wanted to do more for God, and they wanted to spread the light of the Word of God, and they wanted to indeed deepen and strengthen and advance their own experience of the Lord before going out into ministry. I think it's true to say that in Northern Ireland and throughout the United Kingdom, there are not nearly, nearly as many theological colleges as there used to be. There were so many missionary theological colleges, so many Bible colleges of, of various kinds, some denominational and some interdenominational. And uh, indeed, all of them, all of them were outstanding. I met many of their principals. And I visited a number of them, and they were actually uh, very, very valuable and impacting. And many of them left very powerful spiritual marks on the lives of those that came to be trained and prepared for ministry in those institutions. But nowadays, nowadays, that's not the case. And nowadays, the programs are not nearly, not even half as spiritual as they used to be. Nowadays, they're in the business of promoting academia, academic uh, thinking, and uh, uh, actually promoting diplomas and bachelors in theology, and they're actually inviting anybody whether they are converted or not. Previously, you had to have a sense of call from God to go to a theological college or to be accepted. There was a time when you needed to be spiritual. They would ask you, what kind of books do you read? What, what, tell us about your lifestyle. Do you attend a prayer meeting? Do you become involved in the work of God? Are you evangelizing? Are you winning souls? Did you ever lead anybody to Jesus? But nowadays, those questions are never asked. All they're asking, can you afford it? Are you able to pay can you meet 
the payment of the fees each quarter. So it's, it's all about professional education, and uh, a lot of those degrees are locked into, indeed, uh, Belfast University insofar as Northern Ireland is concerned, or some of the other notable universities on the mainland. A friend of mine attended a denominational theological college in Manchester, and um, he told me that at the weekends that a lot of the students went out to the nightclubs. Theological students preparing for, they said the work of God, or perhaps the mission field, and they were going out to the nightclubs. Some others were going out to give out gospel literature and to evangelize, but some, some <laughs> were not interested in that. In fact, they laughed. They laughed. In fact, there's a, a, a theological college here on the outskirts of Belfast, and uh, I know a young man who went there, and he was going out at, on, on Saturday nights uh, to, to evangelize and to reach out into various communities, and um, he was trying to encourage some friends to come but they were not remotely interested. They laughed at him. They said, we have other plans. We're going out to a discotheque or going out to a nightclub to enjoy ourselves. So I am saying that things are not what they used to be, but we thank God that here there is a live institution. There's prayer going up. There is a hunger for the Word of God there are godly teachers. I'm sure that Elisha was not the only uh, theologian in that place. There were many that were sharing the Word of God, and there were many that were lighting fires in the hearts of young men as they prepared themselves to go out into ministry. So there was dissatisfaction in the sense that they wanted more. They wanted to enlarge their coasts. They wanted to uh, build a greater institution that would be more impacting in the future for the work and for the kingdom of God. There are signs of a stirring, and I believe that here and there throughout Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic, there are signs of a stirring. There are straws in the wind. There are many things happening that you don't hear about, not just people getting saved in ones and twos, but groups, relatively large groups here and there, are coming to know Jesus Christ. New churches are being birthed. And was it not the late Reverend Duncan Campbell, whom I was privileged to know, and if you uh, want to read a very impacting book, uh, get his biography. That's the title of it, uh, A Biography about Duncan Campbell or Channel of Revival, a very, very inspirational and powerful book on revival and the life of that man of God. There are straws in the wind, and there are communities that are beginning to be shaken, and the light of God is going out, and uh, wonderful things are beginning to happen. And remember that the Great Awakening in 1904 in Wales Two weeks before that revival broke that brought 100,000 to Jesus Christ, there was not a sign of it. 
Nobody suspected or thought that anything like that was going to happen. Sometimes you think, you know, for six months or maybe for two years, you will, you will sense and see uh, uh, that God is going to do something. God can uh, allow something to spring forth quickly, and everybody knows about it all of a sudden. There are straws in the wind, and when you hear and see about that, it's very inspirational and uh, very much a blessing to those who are in the vicinity. The place is too narrow. It's too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. If you read the story carefully, you will note that the team were very united. You will notice that a young man had a vision. Sometimes when a young man gets a vision or a young lady gets a vision, they're told to keep quiet. They're told that they're too young to actually try to influence uh, those who have gathered to uh, discuss the work of God. You're not experienced enough. A bit like the man of God, William Carey, when he attended a meeting in London, uh, a meeting of businessmen. He was interested in the mission field. And he stood up and he encouraged these businessmen, men who had means <coughs> to uh, put their money where their mouth was. He was saying it takes money to send people to India and to distant mission fields. And he was saying, we'd like you to get involved, support missions and missionaries to reach out to the lost. And another man stood up and he said, young man, sit down. You need to learn to grow a beard, he said, before you stand up in a meeting like this to tell us what we should do or what we shouldn't do. And he humiliated the young man who had just been speaking, William Carey. But William Carey had the call of God in his heart, and whether people supported him or not, he was going to go to India. And he went, and he became a phenomenon. He became renowned as the leader and founder of modern missions. He made a great impact in India, translated the Word of God into about eight or nine languages. He built institutions of various kinds, and he invested his entire life there. I say we need to be sensitive to young people who are in touch with God, who have got a vision. They need to be allowed their speak, their say-so. They need to indeed to be taken aside and uh, nurtured. I'm not saying that everything younger people say should be taken on board, but they should be listened to, listened to. And notice a reference point here. When they were making their plans, they asked the old man of God, Elisha, will you accompany us in our enterprise? Will you come and be part of our team? They were thinking about his prayer life. They were thinking about his wisdom, about his close walk with God. They were thinking about what he had done for them and what he had meant to them. 
during the time that they had been sitting under his ministry. We don't want to leave you behind. Will you come with us? And I can imagine they clapped their hands when he said, yes, I'll come. And they knew that they would succeed because this man was so much in touch with God that God wrought so many miracles, powerful miracles through his ministry. And it would be very beneficial and a great blessing to have him on their side. And so we are told that these men, um, they went forward. Recently I read the story again of uh, David Livingstone, who invested 32 years of his life in opening up India for the gospel. One of his missionary journeys took him on a journey that um, comprised 3,000 miles. Can you imagine? 3,000 miles trekking through jungles and uh, tribes that had never seen white people before. Many of them were cannibals, and uh, many of them were warring tribal people. But God had called them to do this ministry and he was very much committed to it. But uh, I remember him saying to his wife, my dear, he said, I'm prepared to go anywhere for Jesus Christ, providing it's forward, forward. 32 years, traveling by foot 40,000 miles. And everywhere he went, he shared the gospel. And he became a very powerful force for Jesus Christ and missionary work in Africa. We need to go forward with God. We must not stand still. We must not be thinking of quitting. We must go forward. We must be on the march, even though the enemy is challenging us and threatening us with all manner of discouragements. And so as they made their journey... We note that some of the young men who were involved, they said, um, let's go to the forest, uh, which is nearby, and let's cut down timber. Let's cut down a beam. That was hard work. Be aware of the fact, dear people, that the ministry is hard work. Serving Jesus Christ, building his kingdom is hard work. There are many setbacks, many disappointments, many losses and crosses. I'm going back to Kenya just now, and there are some people in Kenya who have been at my side for very many years, but they have begun in some places to make our work difficult. They have begun to work against us for their own ends. They want, they want uh, uh, resources. They want, they want uh, actually uh, to, to, to take over. They want uh, to remunerate themselves. And very often in the work of God, there are differences of opinion. There are clashes of personality. Not everybody seems, not everybody sees things from the same angle. And one thing that we need to be very cautious and careful about is that the, the spirit of unity is not broken. That Jesus 
is at the center and that we are respectful and sensitive to His presence. Very often there has been spiritual awakenings in communities, and when jealousies or when strife or envy or when some feel that it's their place to lead or to be in charge, and that doesn't work out that way, uh, there's disagreement, and the Spirit of God is grieved, and He goes, He moves away. I'm told that during the Great Awakening in uh, Valley Robert, uh, some years ago under the ministry of Frank Marshall, and that mission went on for 10 months and longer, and there were I think maybe hundreds of people that got saved. Every night the, the mission hall was overflowing and the power of God was powerfully uh, uh, evident and, and there was conviction and awakening and Christians were being set on fire and there was a spirit of prayer and, and, and there was a great forward push in the kingdom of God. But one night at a certain point in time, one could put one's finger on the clock and say it was, let's say, quarter past nine, the Spirit of God left. Something happened. Something happened. The Holy Spirit is very gentle and gracious, and if we are not uh, sensitive, and if we are not in touch with God, if we are not surrendered to God, and if we are not wanting God to get all the glory, praise, and honor... If we are wanting to be prominent and want to be leading everything, the Holy Spirit can wing His flight away. And that is awful when it happens. I think that was a very sad moment in Valley Robert when that happened those many years ago. Some of you will know, you will have heard that story before. But here there's unity, and here there is advancement Things are happening, good things are happening, and God is blessing His work and those involved in it. But um, we read in the story that a young man was uh, felling a tree with his axe. That's how they did it in those days. And uh, in the process of uh, felling the tree, his axe head became disengaged. I'm sure he was uh, very committed I'm sure that he was very serious and hardworking, and um, I'm sure he didn't expect uh, what happened to happen. But I've often thought if the young man had stopped for a moment to uh, inspect his axe, to sharpen his axe head, if he had stopped for a moment to check the stability of the piece of steel on the end of the shaft, uh, in terms of um, the safety and the usefulness of his implement, he would have discovered this thing's almost ready to come off. And there's many of us in the work of God, and if we would stop to examine our axe head, if we would stop to sharpen our axe head, do you know the best way you can do that? It's when you give yourself to prayer, and you give yourself to prolonged periods of waiting upon God and uh, taking an inventory of your spiritual life, where you're at and the progress that you're making or not making 
and that can save you from a massive showdown. That can save you from being taken advantage of by the devil to stop and to think and see what is happening. I can imagine this young man, uh, when he was using his implement, and uh, he strikes the tree, he's making good progress, but on this occasion, as he brings, as he brings the axe down on the tree uh, to make a, a massive impact, he hears a whistling through the air, and his blade, uh, his axe head has gone. It has gone. And then he hears a, a splash, and he knows fine that his axe head will not be easy to retrieve. It has landed in the river, which happened to be the River Jordan uh, nearby. And he was very distressed because the axe did not belong to him. It was borrowed. He said, alas, Master, when he spoke to Elisha about it, this thing did not belong to me and I've no way of retrieving it. It must have been a very deep part of the river because he could not wade out and, 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 and get it. And uh, he went to the prophet to, to seek help and to try and redress the situation. And uh, the man of God said to him, young man, he said, where did you lose your, your axe head? He said, sir, I know the place. I can tell you the time. When you lose out with God, I believe you can identify the place and the time. It doesn't just happen that stealthfully. Nobody else perhaps might be aware of when it happened or how it happened, but you know. You know when you lost your grip on God. You know the moment you disobeyed God. You know the moment you touched the accursed thing. You know the moment you told that lie. You know the moment that you defile your hands and your heart by stealing or by signing some document. And the information that that document contained wasn't true. You know the day that the light went out, the day that darkness came into your soul because you lost, you lost something that was very valuable and precious and dear to you, but you didn't want to admit it. Can you, manage, uh, uh, can you imagine this man trying to pretend that nothing happened? And he continued to strike the tree with the shaft of his axe, with no axe head there. Uh, ridiculous, of course. In fact, it's, it's, it's insane even to think about it. It is uh, uh, um, totally, totally, uh, yes, ridiculous. But you know, there's many in the ministry, and that's exactly what they're doing. They stand in the pulpit and they're preaching, and they have no axe head. They have a shaft, but no axe head. There's many in the pulpits of our land. There's many in ministries of all kinds and sorts. And they're preaching, and all that they have is a health. All that they have is a stick in their hands. I say they are laboring in the flesh. They're laboring in the strength and in the ingenuity of men. They do not have the Spirit of God within them. In fact, there's many not even converted. I don't need to tell you that. 
There's 50 or 60 percent of all the clergy in Northern Ireland that have never been to the cross, that have no witness of the Spirit that their sins are forgiven and that their names are written in the book of life and that they'll go to heaven when they die. They've chosen a career. They're a minister by profession. They never chose the ministry. They've been sent into it, perhaps by their family, or it's just, it is just a form of employment or career that they have chosen for themselves, and perhaps they think it might be a relatively cozy number. It can be a cozy number if you're not called. It can be a very cozy number if God hasn't put you in the ministry, if you've chosen it. There's a lot of ministers, and they spend more time repairing an antique car, that's none of my business, or looking after their horses, or looking after a piece of land that they have, or building a house, or, or, or doing some other things, and the ministry and the preaching part, it's just a sideline. Men and women, where have we got to, or where are we getting to in, in, in the work of God? The devil, devil is pretty well pleased with, themselves, uh, with himself when he sees what many are doing, actually, uh, in the name of Christianity and the gospel and um, ministry, especially church-based. And so, uh, he acknowledges the fact that uh, he needs help, this young man, and he goes to the prophet, and the prophet uh, accompanies him to the place, and um, he says, uh, servant of God, he said, I was standing here, and he said, this is where I lost my axe head. Do you remember the place where you lost out with God? Do you, do you remember the circumstances, the reasons? He said, the, the, the axe head, it went whistling through those trees there, about 20, 30, 40 uh, feet, and he said it splashed into the middle, the middle of the river. Somewhere over there. And the man of God said, Let, let's, let's go to the river bank. And the servant of God, Elisha, stood on the river bank, and he did something unusual. He cut the branch off a tree. I don't know how big it was. And he threw it into the water. And two miracles happened all at once. The axe head swam. That is, it came up not of its own accord, but by the power of God, it came up to the surface. Now, now that had to be a miracle. It wasn't made of a stick. It wasn't made out of cork. It wasn't made of some light material that uh, had buoyancy in the water. It came up to the top. How deep it, it, it was in the water, we don't know, but it must have been one or two meters at least, and it's floating. And then the iron began to swim. Can you imagine that? It began to swim. It swam from the center of the river to the side, and the man of God said, reach out your hand and take your cutting edge. And I can imagine that young man, 
as he was, picking up the axe head, and he's pressing it to his heart. He said, I'm so relieved I've got it back. I can imagine he might even press it to his lips and kiss it. I'm so glad. I would have been so embarrassed. I would have been so ashamed to go back to the man that loaned me this. Uh, to, to, to say I've lost what you give me on loan. I want to say to you, dear people, when we think of losing out with God, and when we look at this story, the, the branch being cut down and thrown into the river, does that not answer to the cross? I like to think of it that way. It answers to the cross, the timbers upon which Jesus was nailed, the timbers upon which Jesus was hanged that day on Mount Golgotha, nailed to a cross, hanging, bleeding, and dying, and crying, it is finished. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And I say to you that when you lose out with God, when you lose your cutting edge, you need to get back to the cross. You need to get back to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with a broken heart. You need to confess your sins and your, your backslidings and the circumstances that took you away from God. And Jesus is waiting for you there, right there, right there now, if you will uh, own up to your situation and uh, return to Him. Just as I conclude, I want to say just a few things finally. When you lose out in your devotional life, your devotional experience with the Lord Jesus day by day, you have lost your cutting edge. No longer reading the Word of God. No longer spending quality time in prayer day by day. I'm not talking about family prayer with your family. That is, has a place of its own. I'm talking about you and Jesus meeting alone day by day. If you lose that experience each, each day, and there's seven days in the week, seven mornings, seven evenings, if you lose out in your devotional life, you lose your cutting edge. I want to say that if you fail morally, if you fail morally, if you commit sexual sin, you have lost your cutting edge. You may be like Samson and shake yourself a few times and come out as he did against the Philistines. And he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to be as I was in other times. I'll scatter these Philistines as if he is laying claim to his supernatural strength. He soon found out that his strength was no more. I say to you, you can carry on the outward facade. You can carry on with the uh, uh, their usual exercises, 
but God is not with you. You're on your own. You're on your own. When you tell a lie, when you behave in a deceitful way, you have lost your cutting edge. I heard one time about a, a minister who had come from America to work in this church uh, to do a gospel campaign or a time of ministry, and um, he was taken out by his host pastor uh, for uh, a meal or for a supper. And during the course of the evening, a young waitress, waitress came around, and she was laying the table and putting out water and glasses, and in the process, she tumbled, tossed over a glass of water. And the host minister, the visitor, he lost his temper. And he upbraided that young lady so, so insensitively, so shamelessly. He told her she was good for nothing, told her that she was inept, that she had no, no experience, that she had no right to be uh, serving his table. And she, he said so much that the young lady ran away crying. And his friend said to him, Brother, I dare you, when that young lady comes back, if she does come back, you talk to her about Jesus. You try talking to her about Jesus. He was saying, in effect, she'll not listen to you after what you've done. You've lost your, you've lost your respect and your testimony. I say, you lose your temper, you lose your cutting edge. Oh, dear men and women, hear me today. You can get back the lost axe head, and you get it back by coming to the cross and by repenting deeply, confessing your sin and failure, and asking the Lord Jesus to forgive you and to restore you. You can get back the presence of God in your home and in your ministry. You can get back God's favor. You can find your way again. You can. You can. The blood of Jesus is still flowing, and it's powerful to cleanse and to restore and to cover our shame. Father, bless your word to the people this morning. I pray for anyone in this uh, service this morning who has lost out with you for whatever reason. I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch their lives, and I pray that today that there'll be a spirit of brokenness and repentance, and I pray that there'll be an earnest heart-seeking after God restoration and forgiveness. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I thank you that we can get back what the devil has cheated us out of. We can get back, Lord, what we have lost. We can get back our dignity. We can get back our power. We can get back our, our assurance of salvation and our purity and victory that you have given to us. I pray that you would move in lives this day 
and stir hearts. And Lord, win, win a victory today in lives, I pray, and get honor and praise to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.